You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. It's Thursday, 12 January, U.S. December. Inflation this afternoon expected 6.5%. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb studios in Houghton, Johannesburg. On the show today, we'll be chatting with Nwaba Mkabela. We're going to be touching that the telecom rain deal collapsed. I wasn't a big, I liked the idea behind the deal, but I didn't think the valuations worked. Is the value in telecom or is it still just all an MTN Vodacom story? Uh, Casey Dalport from Anchor. Uh, Japan changed their monetary policy for the first time in, I think, decades. And we'll touch on the European energy crisis, which, well, ended up not such a crisis. Uh, Justin Ethrop, he's uh, from Uber. We want to t- impact of, of high rate homes on home buyers, high re- interest rates on home buyers, and maybe looking at the big picture of current interest rates. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines for MoneyWeb. Just find the wretched money for the diesel. Less damage to the economy will pay the fuel bill for load shedding in under a week every month. Business Day Dimension Data bosses charged over sale of the campus. Legal proceedings against actions of former execs could see the deal reversed. Morning markets, US was green. S&P up one and a quarter. Nasdaq up one and three quarter percent. Asia is green. Sydney up 1.1 percent. Tokyo, 0.03 percent. So just scraping it. Commodities, mostly green. Gold, 1,886. Brent, 8,280. Platinum, 1,083. That's your red. Palladium, 1,776. Rand, 1,692. Bitcoin, 18,200. Tencent trading down 3.5% in the Hong Kong lunch break. And top 40 opening call, uh, 60 points to the red. That's about 0.1 of a percent down. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Trading now with Robert Nkabele's portfolio manager at Perpetua. Uh, Lenoir, I appreciate the early morning time. We had the rain telecom deal collapse. I'd, I'd always liked the idea of the two merging. I wasn't convinced they were going to necessarily be able to agree on price. We, of course, can get insight to rain valuation via Patrice Masepa's African Rainbow Capital. Your take, I mean, does this, does this make telecom a better, perhaps, opportunity, a worse, or is it still really all about MTN and Vodacom? in the talk space um hi morning simon um yes uh, yeah i agree with you i think the you know the rain transaction would have been tricky just because of the size you know of the two um which probably complicated the you know the discussions as well as the relative valuations i, I think at, at the moment you know um telcom was at 10 percent yesterday and i really think that yeah. the market's speculating that this opens the door for mtn to to come back um you know, after they walked away last year. I, I mean, MTN's interest seems to be in the fiber assets, but the mobile assets, they, you know, also would fit quite well, given that um, MTN and Telcom have a roaming agreement. Um, you, you know, so there, mm. there would be synergies there. Um, so, so I would say, I mean, Simon, I'd say that there's, there is M&A potential. Um, in my view, though, I would prefer that, you know, that the investment thesis doesn't hinge on a potential suitor. You know, so yeah. I'd, I'd prefer <laughs> that Telcom was in a was in a better position itself. You know, um, yeah, and you know, I, I think it, just a, a, a read of the last financials shows that in the last interims, Telcom made a two billion free cash flow loss. 
you know, and I think they've got 5 billion of facilities left, you know, so that it means basically in the next two years are going to be quite pivotal, um, you know, for, um, for, for Talcon. Um, I, th- I mean, really the main issue is that, you know, um, is that, you know, when you think about, you know, the transition that Telcom's trying to make, it's quite capex intensive, so between mobile and fiber. Um, so they currently pass through over a, a million homes, you know, and that takes quite a lot of capex to, to get done. And, and hence why the free cash, um, they're burning through it. Um, and then I guess when you look at the other side of the equation, the revenue side, you actually see that they aren't generating enough, you know, to kind of justify um, that level of investment. Um, you know, even now the mobile and fiber revenues are plateauing. And, yeah, and so, I take your point on that. I mean, and the one thing, I mean, telcos to me, I always kind of thought that they were utilities, like 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 power, like water, and and, and those are investable assets in, in in the US and other parts of the world. The, the challenge is, is as you mentioned, there is there a utility, but in many senses, with massive ongoing capex, and, and you know, we're getting five G, and I'm thinking in the in the mobile space here, but everyone's talking about about six G. You need to be a big player like an MTN or Vodacom for telecom. That capex is hard. No, I hundred percent agree with you. It's it's almost. Uh, I think that you know, some of the environment has been suitable for like two players. You know, the third player hasn't hasn't really cracked mm-hmm. it. If you think about Celsius, um, you know, and um, and, and I guess Telcom is now you know um, potentially in that in that position. So yeah, so and it's really just the size of market. I think we're probably just not big enough to support you know the, um, that many um, that many players. I think in the earlier years. You know there was growth because it, you know mobile penetration was growing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so now you're at a point where actually mobile penetration has probably peaked, right? And you've had prices um, deflate quite significantly. If you think about what's happened to data prices, no one uses voice anymore. <laughs> you know, we we yeah. all on WhatsApp as well. So you know, it's a tough, tough high capex, and then the revenue doesn't come. You know, so hence the profitability. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just declines over time. I take a point. And the US, I mean, they had four, they're down to three players, and, and they're, what, a 300 million population, um, and they're just managing three players. Maybe two's the right number mm. for us. We'll leave it there, Alon Robin Lacabella, Portfolio Manager at Perpetua. Appreciate the early morning time. And that's our question today on LinkedIn and Twitter. With that failed deal, what is your preferred uh, local telco? Is it, is it telcom, although they've got some challenges? they got SwiftNet, which they want, want to unbundle. They've got the property, but they're not making money. MTN, Vodacom, or maybe no telco for you. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. Your money knows it's not just about the money. It's about your returns returning the favour and empowering people. Your money can do more to change the narrative. Beyond delivering consistent returns, investing in the Stanley Kanisa Impact Investment Fund can help eradicate poverty and protect the environment. Invest for more impact at stanlibcom forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Jenny now with her, Casey Delport, uh, Fixed Income Investment Analyst at Anchor Capital. Casey, appreciate the early morning time. And note that you, uh, you and your, your colleagues sent out uh, just yesterday. You, you make a, a couple of points. One of them about is the possible shift in Japan's monetary policy. I, I was well, over the Christmas period when I was uh, on holiday uh, and not really paying attention to, to the markets. They did make some changes. And, and it, it feels to me, probably incorrectly so, that it, it's like the first time in decades that we actually start 
starting to perhaps see shifts in Japanese monetary policy. Good morning, Simon, and yeah, thank you for having me this morning. And you're 100% correct. This, you know, this possible shift in Japan's monetary policy stance is sort of largely flown under the radar, given, as you said, I think the majority of us are sort of on our festive season break. And I think it's a really, really important factor for us to, to consider. You know, we're likely to see the shift in policy as the current uh, governor of the Bank of Japan is due to leave his office in April. And he has actually been regarded as, you know, extremely dovish during his decade at the home. And, you know, his replacement could it could prove to be similarly dovish, but there is a really strong and fair chance that he or she will, you know, be uh, you know, more of a hawkish sort of type rhetoric and that that will naturally usher in some sort of policy change of, of nature. So I think the the key question for the back of that is, you know, could such action really cause a you know, significant market dislocation? Um, I think that's a difficult one for uh, a lot of investors to to understand. And I think really one reason why it sort of could relate, um, it's really due to the fact that, you know, the poor returns at home mm. have led a lot of Japanese banks to, you know, be the global lenders in international lending. And I think it's around 4.8 trillion um, US dollars in international claims. I mean, to put it into comparison, its nearest rival in the US is around uh, 4.5 trillion. So... You know, if you consider that the U.S. economy is nearly five times the size of the Japanese economy, it really becomes clear that, you know, Japanese banks are dominant in this lending space. So the question after that is, you know, whether this sort of international lending will be redirected to local markets if if domestic returns improve because of higher policy Mm. rates. And that could really, you know, lead to sort of some dislocation in the market, um, you know, rapid withdrawal of Japanese banks from the international sort of lending market, which could really strain the, the financial system at, at large. Okay, so something to keep an eye on after after Jap- Japan has been, maybe sleepy is the wrong word, but but sort of sitting quietly in the corner for for, for a long, yes. long time. Well, one of the other big things which which didn't play out last year, perhaps as expected, and over the winter was was the energy crisis in in Europe. And I mean, I, I was having conversations from as early as mid twenty twenty one around it. Of course, the Ukraine war last year then really heightened it. Indications are that 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 Europe has actually survived. I mean, and and, and it, it's head scratching. But they, they've they've managed to 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 come through the winter, and of course there's still time to go. Uh, fairly unscathed, and without the the horror the horror predictions that that many were making. No, hundred percent. And again, it's another factor that's sort of gone under the, uh, the radar a little bit. I mean, I was one of those, much as, as you, you know, sort of mid last year, you mm. know, <laughs> sort of preaching doom and gloom on on the European side. Yeah. At the end of the day, they get about I think forty uh, percent of the of the gas supplies from Russia. But what they have actually managed to do is, you know, really come through it with the more sort of, like you said, you know, unscathed. And this is really, I think, due to a combination of sort of sound judgment from their side mm-hmm. and good luck, you know, amid what has actually been sort of unseasonably warm temperatures. So Europe has actually managed to fill its gas tanks, you know, throughout their summer, uh, replacing mostly Russian gas with liquefied natural gas, LNG, from the U.S., which has really helped sort of, you know, stock up the of supplies and then, you know, taking into account sort of the good fortune of a very mild autumn and, and seemingly sort of mild 
winter at this point. And, um, yeah, it looks like they are increasingly likely to make it through this sort of winter without resorting to energy rationing. Yeah, I I mean, when you get some good luck, take it with both hands. Never look good luck in the face. (laughs) A quick last one. You mentioned reluctant trade partners, uh, a slowdown in globalization. I think what you know, the big one, obviously, is U.S.-China. And and whilst we're not having the the sort of Donald Donald Trump tweet uh, sort of uh, 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 foreign policy planning, there is still tensions out there, particularly U.S.-China and others geopolitical. I mean... Russia, of course, also on that list. Yeah, definitely. And I think this will be, for me personally, one of the most you know, fascinating factors to see how it plays out to 2023. I mean, if we just, you know, if we take a step back and we consider that, you know, several lines were really sort of crossed in 2022. If we consider the international, you know, trade arena, of mm. course, this was primarily due to, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So, what I'm, you know, feel is that this year will could really be a year where you know countries may test new ways to sort of organise their economic advantages via trade. You know, there are many sort of aspects to do this. If we consider all the sort of trade disputes that weighed so heavily last year, and I really feel that will be sort of the a bit of a new norm kind of going forward. We'll leave that there. That's Casey Dolport. Uh, you find her at Anchor Capital. Casey, appreciate the early morning insights. There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Chaining now with uh, Justin Eastthorpe. Uh, he's provincial sales manager for Uber. Justin, appreciate the early morning time. We, we've seen uh, uh, repo rates increase, and of course that flows through into prime increases. Uh, and anyone with a home loan is feeling that acutely. And, and there's always a sense out there that when rates are rising, oh, don't buy a house, oh, wait for lower rates. There's a bigger picture to this, which perhaps is, is a lot more nuanced than just, you know, w- w- what is that rate that it's sort of higher than it was a year ago? Morning, Simon. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, what one always needs to bear in mind when purchasing a home is that it's a long-term investment. It's a long-term view. Mm. Uh, we uh, Interest rates are cyclical. We know that uh, they go up and they go down. And when purchasing a house and looking at affordability, one needs to take a long view and not look at what, what it's going to cost right now. And, and that's the key point. It's also, you know, uh, you, you, you get a loan and you go in and, and, and sort of do it to the absolute max is, is if you give yourself a little bit of wiggle room, particularly in this point in the cycle. And it's brave words to say we're closer to the top than the bottom. But that is certainly the consensus out there. If you've got a bit of wiggle room, the rates might be lower in a, in a, in a, in a year or two, which actually means, you know, if you can afford it now, this is opportunity more than anything else. And perhaps you're getting better value. Absolutely. And also, you know, on the affordability side, there's two, th- there's two sides to it. There's mm. one, can you afford it on a monthly basis? And the second one is that the banks need to ensure that they're mitigating their risk. So when they're doing an assessment on affordability, they will never, they will never take you to the max. They always do stress test your affordability to ensure that should interest rates go up, um, that they're happy that you would be able to afford it uh, in, the, in the increased interest rate cycle.
And, and it's the case of, and it goes back to your to your earlier point. This is a, a long term view. No one's buying a house with a with a you know I, I'll live here for a year or two. We, we're planning to live there for ten or twenty. We might only do a, you know the ten, maybe even a, a, only seven. But, but it comes back to if it's the the right house and you like it and it meets your family requirements uh, and and the bank gives you the money. Th- this is this is a, a, a an opportunity rather than say, well, I'll try again next year. I've only bought a few houses in my life, but it, it, finding all the right, ticking all those right boxes is a complex process. 100%. And also, I mean, uh, when looking at affordability and, look, and especially wanting to put a roof over your head, mm. um, uh, one can always relook at expenses and see where they can cut uh, to, to, to make, make the, the, well, the deal happen. Yeah, and and that's something which I often also I think people miss is that you take a home loan out today, and yes, there'll be some fluctuation with interest rates, and and we're making the assumption we're closer to the top of the cycle. The key point, of course, is that let's right, roll forward five years. Your home loan is going to be broadly the same. Your salary is going to be five years worth of increases. So in fact, your cash flow is going to improve over the period. All things equal. Absolutely. And and do you get a do you, do you get a, a sense that 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 people are are standing back and, and, and being nervous, perhaps even stepping more into, into the rental space at, in, in the current market? So our view is that we will see the rental market uh, increase slightly. Uh, if we look at the population of our, of our total uh, home loan submissions, uh, over 50% of them are first-time home buyers. So, so what we need to look at there is that, you know, can the first-time home buyer afford it now or will they move into the, into the rental space? And we have seen our first-time home buyers uh, decreased by about four um, percent. But what we are also seeing from the bank's point of view is, especially in the first-time home buyer space, mm. is there assistance with uh, with regards to covering some of the, the transfer and registration costs? So some of the banks are offering the first-time home buyers one hundred and five percent bond. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're hoping to to see that we can we can push that that first-time home buyer space back up um, to the mid fifty fifty percent. Um, and, and with the bank's assistance on on helping with with additional costs associated to purchasing a property. And and is there a big competition between the banks? You know, in terms of maybe one hundred and five percent for first time buyers, uh, maybe in, in in terms of rates, and as banks try and, and sort of gain market share against each other. We we have not seen the competitive of the banks as we have seen in the last uh, twelve months. I mean, it's, hmm. it's absolutely amazing that that we have. Uh, five banks, and when we say five banks, it's it's Ned Bank, Standard Bank, S and B, and then Investec, all competing for uh, for that home buyer. And and what we're also seeing is is they're competing for the home buyer, but also for the transactional banking account. So so they they are giving additional rate concessions should the client move their banking um, banking over to them. So we we have we haven't seen the competitiveness of of, of banks like this all playing in the same space at the same time for for many years. Yeah, okay, that is interesting, particularly the, the move your bank account. But I suppose that, that, that's how you, they're going to be gaining market share. Justin Thorpe, Provincial Sales Manager for Uber. Appreciate the early morning insights. That's it for today. Yesterday we were chatting property as well with Grant Smee. We were talking trends and we were asking if you were considering buying this year, um, perhaps buying a property. Is it a, a, a buyer's market? Uh, 40% of you said you already own. The rest was split evenly between uh, you are looking to buy because prices are cheap in your area uh, and some of you wanting to sell. The rest were preferring to rent. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn.
This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The Money Web website's in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie Nobuchli and Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is Money Web Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. Equity returns for 2023. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.